If you're asking the question, well, what does everything in between mean? I can't help you there, nor am I going to, okay? That's for you to just fill the blank if you want. Um, but uh, nevertheless, we're going to continue the conversation. A short little exhortation, maybe 15 minutes, and then I'm going to invite my wife up, and we're going to chat and answer some of the questions that you lovely people have submitted for at least the last, I think, four weeks. Um, by the grace of God, we're going to answer those things well, I hope. Blessed be. Anyways, um, why don't we pray, because I need the Lord uh, and the Holy Spirit to come upon my tongue. <laughs> so, Father, right now, we invite the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask, Lord, that as we proclaim Jesus through the preaching of the word, that the Holy Spirit would come and, and give witness of the Son of God and, and proclaim truth to our hearts that transform us from the inside out. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Listen, if you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Um, I think our Bible app uh, that we usually shine on the overhead here is um, having a little uh, of a problem. And so um, if you have your iPad, iPhone, you know, if you have a, a, a real Bible that, like, you know, makes sounds when you flip through it, that's always a good option, too. Um, but here's Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul the Apostle says this. Let love be genuine. Abhor, abhor what is evil, excuse me, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Already we are off to a good start. Matter of fact, I don't have to say any more than these two uh, passages of scriptures uh, to really inspire us to live more um, uh, Christ-like in the place where we love one another. But um, if we move on, I want to use actually another translation uh, the NIV to just kind of, um, yeah, okay, there's a couple of NIV fans here. I don't know how everybody feels about the NIV. It's, um, you know, never mind, that's another conversation for another day. But the NIV reads it like this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. I, I love that second part, this, the word devoted. Like, I get that when it comes to, like, my relationship with God, and certainly I get that when it comes to my relationship with my immediate family, but now here Paul is breaking it down to how we relate to one another as a church, and see, that's where it gets tricky for me. Okay, I don't know if it gets tricky for you, but it gets tricky for me. Why? Because, well, again, I know how to devote myself to my wife in marriage. I can do that. Like, it's, I love her, like... It just happens naturally. She melts my heart, my son. I'm, I'm all in. But when it comes to the body of Christ, it gets a little like heart. And you all know what I'm talking about. Sometimes, uh, you know, it takes all we got to actually love one another. But here Paul the Apostle says, not only are we to love one another, we are to be devoted to one another. Wow. My goodness. This is, that's a big word in this text. And yes, Paul is talking to the church. He's, he's preaching to other believers and how we are to relate and be in relationship with one another. And he uses a strong word like devoted. <laughs> and see, that's where I get in the weeds, like mentally. I'm just like, I don't know how to do that. I know there's something wrong, right? I, I know that there's something that has to change because I, I don't do that naturally as a Christian. Therefore, I need the Holy Spirit. Again, the big idea here in the text, is that love should be, and dare I say, must be sincere and genuine. And then Paul goes a little bit further. It says it must also be devout. Now, 
Of course, just like any text that is challenging, we have to know if there is such thing as sincere love, right? If there is a such thing as devoted and genuine love, then there's also the opposite. The opposite exists. There's insincere and disingenuous love also. So, so not only can love be sincere and genuine, it can also be fake and, 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 and devious. According to Paul, though, there are some things that are meant to kind of aid us along in the journey of becoming more loving Christians. And he lists them in the text. He says, first, you must detest evil. That's, that's the first requirement. You see it right there. We read it, right? And, and then secondly, you're supposed to cling to what is good. And so I imagine that Paul gives us these things to help us navigate uh, through this thing that we lack uh, called devotion, right, to one another. And so he kind of sets these things up for us as like, I think, pointers on how to grow. One, you must reject evil and you must cling to what is good. Now, we talked a little bit about this last Sunday. We used 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8, four verses that kind of show us the um, ugly side of love and the more pretty, godly, Jesus-centered love. So we, we saw within the text, if you were here last Sunday, what love is and what love is not. Let's remind ourselves this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4, Paul the Apostle says this, Love is patient in kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Ouch. It is not irritable and resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In you know, news to us, it never ends. So right there in the first verse, uh, verse 4, that we read, we see what love is and what love is not, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Now I imagine that's what Paul means in Romans chapter 12 when he says cling to what is good when it comes to love. Therefore, I have to put forth some patience and some kindness uh, uh, with people that I'm interfacing with in, in kind of like godly community with. You get it? And, 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 then, and then on the opposite side of that, we see what love is not. And, and, and he lists uh, a long list of things. And he says, you know, love is not envious or boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. Right? So you tracking with me? We kind of get a clear picture of what love is and what love is not. How we're to do this thing. How we're to actually devout, devote excuse me, ourselves to one another. So we're not like left in the dark. Like, how do I love my brothers and sisters? The way that the gospel, the way that the New Testament calls me to love them. Well, we got our answer. Be kind. Be patient. Don't put yourself first. Don't boast. Don't be envious. Don't be rude, right? You know, love bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And this is kind of what we suss out from Scripture, is the biblical definition of love. And then we have the caveat, the cherry on top, where, love's, where Paul says that love is, um, for believers, I mean, let me rephrase that, I'm tripping over my own words, excuse me. He puts the, the cherry on top by saying we also must be attentive to one another, to other believers. We, we must be loyal. When we, when we look at that word, when we study out the word devoted, 
We, we see words like loyalty and, and consistency and commitment. We see words that often don't, I don't think, come to mind when we think uh, about our, our relationships, our community here at this church. But Romans chapter 12, we read it, says, be devoted. These are key words, I believe, in helping us frame and understand uh, a biblical view, if you would, of love. Yet, yet we sadly, guys, all of us, ha- have the tendency of overlooking these virtues, don't we? Don't we? Things like, virtues like loyalty and, and devout. We, we almost kind of treat our relationships, and I think this is equally hard in a transient community. We, we kind of treat our relationships as if they're, they're disposable. As if there's really no value in a fast-moving city to really devote ourselves to one another in kind of like a, a biblical Christian way. You know, my son is all into Legos. Um, I don't know as, if he's as much into them as he was at the age four, um, but that's when he really got turned on to them. And, and as a kid growing up, um, like, I, the one toy, I, uh, one toy that I never had was a Lego. I don't know if it was, it seems like a popular toy, but I was kind of clueless when we got our first Lego, you know, and we're, me and him are sitting down, I'm like, I really don't know how to do this. Like, I was playing, like, with G.I. Joes and micro machines and such. I never got a Lego. But and nevertheless, um, you know, he's an only child, so we always went big. I mean, if you see his room, it's like wall-to-wall Legos. It's crazy. I mean, there's stuff he's got stored in the attic and the basement. It's all over the place. Um, but I remember on his fifth birthday, we bought him the Millennial Falcon. Yes, yes. I actually think I bought it for myself and just like, you know, I don't know if he ever like really wanted it. I just wanted to give it to him and kind of like, you know. Now, if you're not familiar with the Millennial Falcon, I can't help you. Uh, you you've lived under a rock or in a cave for a long time. Uh, it's actually the, the spaceship that Han Solo, if you don't know who Han Solo is, again, good luck. You know, Google him or something. Um, but we bought the Millennial Falcon for him. Now, I think like... It was recommended for kids above the age of 12, and here he is at five, you know. And, and you know, parents would come in, and they'd be like, oh, you bought him the Millennial Falcon? Isn't that, like, you know, for, like, 12-year-olds? And he's, like, six. I'm like, yeah, never mind. You know, we're bad parents. Um, but anyways, no, he was uh, mature enough, responsible enough not to chew on things, you know, uh, and put things up his nose. Uh, but anyways, um, you know, I sat down with him. Now, the Millennial Falcon takes, like, four days to build. Seriously, it's like a... It's got like 1,500 parts, and it's just real intense. And so at the end of the build, with me being clueless about Legos, there was like 20 to 15 pieces left over. And I'm like, man, did we get something wrong? And I'm looking back through the directions, and I'm like, man, did we, did we screw up? Um, and, and, you know, I gave it a couple days. He played with it. Everything seemed to be fine. It didn't break down. It lasted. And I just ended up throwing away the extra pieces. Just kind of disposed of them. And then it was like a couple days later, he had a friend over, and they're playing Legos. And suddenly, uh, in the kitchen, I hear uh, the sound of a Lego drop. Now, if you're a parent here, your kids have Legos, you know that sound, you know. I can't explain it. It it is rather unexplainable in in, in many ways. Uh, But he made this uh, sound Abram, meaning he was like, oh, gosh, because his friend did it. Uh, And so I immediately ran in, and sure enough, the Millennial Falcon was all in pieces. 
And so, okay, what do I do? Because, you know, I'm the kind of guy that just likes to, like, you know, especially with Legos, build it and then throw away all the things, like the directions and boxes and just extra pieces. Just, like, get it out of the house. I mean, it already feels like we're overtaken a little bit. Um, and so um, I'm like, okay, there's got to be something we can do. I get on Google. Luckily, there's directions. So I'm like, okay, there's stage one. So we start putting these uh, Millennial Falcon back together. And... and, and I realized um, not too long as we're building uh, the Millennial Falcon that I'm missing some pieces. But I start to realize that, wow, I think I've seen these pieces before. Uh, and I think I threw them away. Uh, you know, they're little pieces that are really important, right? And I, I just remember, uh, like, my heart kind of sinking because he's like, Dad, we're not going to be able to. I was like, no, I threw these away. And he's like, why did you throw them away? I was like, well, I didn't think they were important. I didn't think they had any value. I just, you know, you're, we're already overtaken with Legos. Like, can you just help me out, son? I'll buy them off Amazon, you know? And he was kind of let down. But yet... I say all this to say that I believe that this is somehow, in some way, how we treat our relationships. Very disposable. Like we get what we need and even sometimes what we want out of them. And then when they no longer serve our purposes, you know, it's kind of like, ah, move on to the next. And, and this could be a, a, a romantic relationships. This could be just friendships. This could be in the church. I'll tell you how this works out. And again, I'm not getting on a soapbox, so please, I really am not sad or hurt by this at all, but I'll just give you a quick little snapshot of what this looks like in the church, and because, you know, I'm the pastor, and I get to work with a lot of people, I get to see a lot of things, you know, behind the scenes, and so um, three years ago, a, a young couple walked into our church, and um, we got to know each other, and uh, sooner or later, after like two weeks, uh, they emailed us, and, and they expressed their desire to want to get married, and I didn't know him from Adam. Again, I've only met him like twice, I think. And so I'm like, well, let's get some time and let me meet them. I mean, I just don't want to marry anybody. I want to kind of know what's going on and, and such. And so we had some uh, time together, and I really felt good. I was like, okay, like this is a solid couple. Let's, let's go forward with this. Let's, let's move forward. And, 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 and so we, we started going and doing marriage counseling and working together, praying together, and kind of mapping out the service. Um, we, we finally married them. And then uh, I would think it was, this, it was that Sunday, or a couple Sundays after they got married, they just disappeared. You can hear a pin drop in this place. But often that's what happens. It's just an example of how we can use either, either intentionally or unknowingly can, can, can manipulate situations and really be insincere with our relationships. Just use them in the ways that we want to get certain things out of them. And I think God wants that to come to an end. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure he wants that to come to an end. So rather, if it's calculated or if it's just being careless, right? Love, let's listen, this is the big idea of what I'm going after this morning. And I, I, I want to speed it up a little bit because I want to spend plenty of time answering questions. Um, love must never be calculated. It, it must never be careless, it must, like Paul the Apostle said, be sincere and genuine. Let's, let's go up a couple verses if you're still open to Romans in closing. Um, chapter 12 again, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. Now, it's my understanding that verses 9 and 10 are a part of 
what I'm calling the rejection and the renewal. In other words, sincere love that is genuine, without pretense, can only stem out, now listen, can only stem out from a renewed mind and heart. Meaning, I am not going to be able to love you anymore. I'm not going to be able to devote myself to you anymore. Uh, I, I cannot will myself into it. I cannot force myself to love somebody. But by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the renewal of my mind, by the transformation of my heart, as I see a God who loves, I can be changed and love you effectively. I can devote myself to you. I can be consistent in my relationship with you. And so in no way am I saying we should will or force ourselves into loving one another. That can't happen. But by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, it can. And this is why Paul sets up for us. Be not conformed to this world, right? A renewed, transformed mind and heart gives way uh, to a biblical expression of love that reflects Christ. And in short, what I'd like to do as we head into these questions is make an appeal, the same appeal that Paul the Apostle makes in Romans. My appeal is that our understanding of love, this community's understanding of love, would mirror a biblical, Christ-centered, gospel-informed version of love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Though short, Lord, make these words sweet in our hearts. God, I pray that we as a community would be deeply affected, impacted by the way in which Jesus loved us, displayed in the Gospels. Father, let us be transformed, Lord, where we lack love. Put it in our hearts as we see it in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I had to be really quick. Okay, we're going to head in some questions. Is that Okay. Um, I'm guessing that we probably have about 15, maybe 20 minutes to do this. So, B, if you want to come up. You always have to move quicker when there's a bunch of announcements and people you have to honor. And then you have to do a Q&A about relationships. Let's just get adjusted here. Yes, babe, you can share anything. What, what mine is yours, you know?